podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I feel like I'm on the wrong side of this because on my screen at the moment, I'm on the right-hand side. I might have to change this in the edit because it does feel wrong. Uh, welcome to another exciting edition of 4020 Not Live. Um, we've had complaints, two of which, one uh, legitimate from a, a listener uh, to the podcast saying, stop rustling the newspaper, which is a very good complaint. So I've not bought a newspaper this week, so I don't know anything that's gone on in rugby league, which is bad news for people who enjoy the uh, bit from the letters page. But uh, you have to read it yourself and make your own pithy comments. Uh, and uh, two, I don't look smart enough, uh, so I'm wearing a shirt. But like all good news, news uh, reporters, I'm not wearing the uh, suit trousers underneath. But you can't see that. Gentlemen, what 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 a weekend. What a we, what a weekend. Um sorry to, to put you off your tonnets caramel wafers, but as you can see I haven't got one here. Yeah, I mean you could try hand me one through the thing, but it won't work because the cat can't hand me one. Um, what a weekend. I mean, before we get into the, the meat and drink of the games, just what a fantastic weekend of rugby league. I think the, the main thing the, the impression that was left more than anything was that there's going to be no excuse now for rugby league fans, committed or neutral, not to go to Wembley. Um, we've got six teams, six different teams over three games, and that's no disrespect to the schoolboys who'll be playing as well. Um, and all of them, like we said of the semi-finals, I'm not 100% sure you can pick the winner. Um, if you're a neutral, I think you've got every reason to go with the stories that are there. I honestly didn't think, uh, you know, we, we found it impossible to predict with any degree of accuracy who might win these games. But I honestly never thought we would get in the men's Hulk, Hour and Lee. I thought we might have got one of them. But to get two and to realise that now people are digging back through the record books to see maybe the last time something comparable as this happened, you know, what narratives on both sides of the coin. I think the the other thing is it's not even about a newish name winning the competition. It's about the fact that uh, you genuinely have no idea who is going to win this game. And I'm not sure that's happened for a long time. I know we've had some big teams going into to finals, but there's always been sort of a form difference between them. This one, we've got two weeks, we're two weeks away. Um, they've both got some difficult games. They're both going to have to make some decisions about whether they're going to rest some players or not. But in terms of if they can put out their full strength teams at Wembley on the 12th of August, we need to be there to support it if we're serious about um, the image of this sport. I, I thought it was the most fantastic weekend. I couldn't fault it in any way whatsoever. It was just full of high drama, wasn't it? We we dared to tip, didn't we, <laughs> last Monday? And certainly I didn't do very well. I don't know. I don't really know what you ended up deciding, actually, but I had got two out of the six, and that, that just sort of demonstrates. It's a reflection of this season, isn't it, in Super League? It was repeated again in the cup competitions that, um, you know, no one really can predict with any certainty the outcomes. And for me, that's what made the weekend so special. Uh, not only that, 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 you know, there was a Wembley place on, uh, at stake, uh, but the fact that you, you couldn't predict which way it was going to go, even with a few minutes to, left in each of these games, um, was fantastic. I also think the atmosphere deserves a mention um, because I think the uh, both on the television and in the grounds, it painted a fantastic picture that irrespective of the fact that the games were gripping and enthralling and irrespective of, of standard, they were wonderful semi-finals. What we got was a magnificent backdrop. So, you know, hats off to particularly the, the men's games because clearly that's where the, the most number of people turned up. To, to those that created such a fantastic 
sound for for the action. I, you know, be, being at Headingley yesterday it was it was as good as anything I've heard since the the ground was redeveloped, and and that is full credit, particularly to the whole KR fans because they were in that south stand. But the Wigan fans were fantastic as well, and uh, and the attendances were were. You know, better than we've had in semi-finals. Yeah, both but, both five-figure attendances. Yeah, I was going to say I, I didn't know what the numbers were, but you know, from a TV perspective, because I watched them both on TV, they they looked healthy, and uh, I think that's all you want, really, isn't it? I also think it works by not having them as a double header, which is what we've had for the last few years, by having them split over Saturday and Sunday, and then making them a double header with the women's games aligns much better, and you get that same sort of narrative leading to Wembley now for the women's cha- uh, Challenge Cup final, which is which is incredible for them. And nor should we forget the 1895, which we said whoever won those two ties would be uh, fantastic stories. And it's turned out that, that they are. I mean, it might well be a, a West Yorkshire derby, but you've got Simon Griggs, who in the lead up to the game was announced that he was leaving Halifax. So now you've got Craig Lingard, who is spending his last few days with, you know, it's, it, if you want stories, there it is. And, um, you know, I, I would again encourage people, what, what is it? It's about £25 to buy a ticket. But you're now going to get three games, um, a whole day of rugby league entertainment. If you are going, I would encourage you, even if uh, you support one of the teams beforehand that might have lost, to stay on because you, this is this is proper value for money. There's going to come a point at some point where people clamour uh, for the addition of the Year 7 girls final to be at Wembley as well for your equality and feminism and stuff, as uh, Lindsay Anfield mentioned last week. I don't think it was to a question I asked, but uh, one uh, probably Sharon Shorts last for Radio York about the year seven boys would be dropped off going to Wembley while the year seven girls were playing at some, you know, reunion ground somewhere in North London. But well, you know, the, the day is going to be a long one. We're going to be there. It's going to be exciting. Um, let's start with Saturday's game. Uh, we'll, we'll do the men's first and Lee Leopards. Here they are. 12 points to 10, winners over St. Helens, 6-0 down at half-time, but you can't write off the Leopards. And you might, you're not supposed to write off the Saints either, but we did this time because Lee, for the first time since 1971, are at Wembley. That, that's the final you want to remember, is it, Phil, or is it, was that a good one? I can't remember. Yeah, that's the first one I was saying, so thank you for reminding me. <laughs> well, they're back. Well, we, they're back. We don't need to mention that because that's now banished because Lee have got there again, so... <laughs> Well, this is the problem as a Wakefield supporter. I know we went back there in 79, but still everyone talks about 68 anyway. We have a different point of reference now. We should talk about the modern league team. Uh, And they they did quite well and continue in this great vein of form, which we've been speaking about it. They could still win every single trophy available to them. I mean, they are the lineal world champions still. Now they're at Wembley. Um, I, I hope that people in the the Greater Manchester area have access to some kind of leopard print because they can make anything uh, with that on and sell it in the next few weeks and make a fortune. Do you think that the players who've already been measured up for their suits in advance in case that they, they needed to get to Wembley are now thinking, I wonder if it's going to come back with a leopard print all over it? It's going to be like... Uh, the, the, is it, the, is uh, it going to be like football in the FA Cup final that once turned up in white, that the league players are all going to turn up in white? Some they'll they'll plan something, and I just think again it's it's a fantastic story, isn't it? And um, yes, you can you can point the finger if you want at Tommy Makinson missing two relatively kickable goals that would have turned it around. But what you can't fault is the spirit that Adrian Lammers got into that um, Lee side and and not knowing when they're beaten. And you know, 
Zach Hardacre's try when he, to all intents and purposes, traced a, a lost cause. And it, it came up for them. And defensively, they were brilliant. Um, I, I think in terms of character, they were fantastic. Tactically, they were really, really good. Um, they're just a the team nobody wants to play at the moment because they've got everything. And I, and I think that is a credit to Adrian Lamb. I don't think he's got enough credit. Um, I think we, we were talking to some of the Wigan journalists yesterday about the job he did there. And, you know, he was a, he was an, a fingertip away from winning a grand final, the most ridiculous, perverse ending to a game. And on the back of that, you know, he lost his job, but he, he had a great a great say in, in where Wigan are at the moment. Um, and now he's done it again with Lee. And, and I, I just think um, he deserves all the credit. His players have clearly bought into everything he did. His son is superb, created the two bits of magic that, that got their tries on the board. Um, but it's the way they defended, particularly in those latter stages. And again, you know, Hardacre's tackle um, on, on Johnny Lomax perhaps summed up again their, their desire and that was the difference between the teams, maybe. I thought it was interesting after about, I would say, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that first half, I think most people would have predicted that St. Helens would have gone on to win because they were just so dominant, weren't they, you know, in terms of territory, possession, all the stats were all heavily in their favour. But actually, by the time half-time came, with that penalty goal being missed, I was concerned for St Helens because I thought for all the dominance they've shown in the first half, they've not converted. And if, if Lee get the first try here in the second half, it really is game on. And 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 as it's panned out, you know, that's the way it went. But, you know, a tremendous effort by, by Lee, not only defensively, but uh, as well on attack. And as you've rightly said, Lamb just orchestrates. And I think that's the... The dilemma they've got, they've got two more games, haven't they, before they play at Wembley. Do they, who do they rest? Do they rest? One, one of them against Wigan, yeah. which could have been the Wembley scenario. Uh, you, you wouldn't have thought coming off the um, the, the heartache of not getting there that Wigan are going to take that game lightly. Yeah. So, and, and then I think they've, they've got Leeds six days before Wembley at Heading. So, yeah, some important decisions to and make. I, and I think of the two teams that were in the final, I think Lee, uh, if they're going to rest people, are probably more likely to do it than Hulkar, given where they are in the league table, than the, what this second still in the league table. And Hulkar are just, just in uh, sixth uh, on points difference to Salford, so they've probably got a little bit more comfort than Lee. But a smaller squad, which yeah. gives them less options. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see how they approach the next two weeks, they will have thought of that in advance. I think they'll they'll know the strategy they're going to adopt. But I think you're right that had Saints gone in two scores ahead, now that's what I think that's why that penalty miss was mm. probably more crucial than the conversion at the end. Um, the I, I cannot imagine the amount of pressure that would have been on that conversion. And you know, I, I, I don't think you can blame the kicker. There'll be, there'll be games you'll look back on where. Tommy Megson has won the matches with his goal kicking. And that one at the end, I, I, I don't know how, you know, you, you cut yourself off. But the one just before half time where there wasn't really pressure mm. and that two score lead suddenly puts you in a very different frame of mind. Then you realise that you've got a couple of injuries that you're going to have to cope with or work around as well. And then you slip to, to parity. And, and I think we should credit again Ben Reynolds' goal kicking because he's, he got one from the touchline, which um, ultimately proved to be as crucial as Tommy Makinson's miss as well. And um, all, you know, you, you put that in the mix, but what, what you got was just the most gripping of dramas. Um, a bit of contention in there as well. I, I think in all the games, we'll be no doubt talking about refereeing decisions, either things that were seen or weren't seen. Green card given to uh, to Jack Wellsby that now people are saying, well, actually, was he the victim of, uh, you know, something off the ball because Edwin Apapi has been banned for it. Um, 
but but again, I, I think you know if we want to focus too much on the referee, we'll miss the spectacle that we saw across the whole weekend. Which, which I think you know, uh, if you want to look at an incident, that's fine. But look at the the bigger picture of of what we witnessed, and I, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody can have any complaints that the right teams aren't at Wembley. If I describe Lee's squad as rejects from other Super League teams, it probably comes off a bit unfair, but. They are players that were cast off from other Super League teams after Lee were promoted. And the job Adrian Lamb has done to galvanise them together, as you say, to to put together a squad that's not just competed in the league, but now at Wembley. As you say, they all want to be at Wembley in two weeks' time, but they probably don't want to miss a game before then as well, because there's a good chance that somebody in the, on the fringes could pull them out of the Wembley squad. I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one for Adrian Lamb, and this is where I guess... He earns his money trying to work out who you rest, if you rest, and if you keep that momentum going into that big game at Wembley. I think that goes back to Roby, isn't it? Because St Helens lost and Roby didn't play and Roby couldn't play because of the HIA the week before. So in hindsight, would they have rested Roby against Catalan you know, to save him for the Challenge Cup semi-final? It's easy in hindsight, isn't it? But as Paul Wellens has already said, they need to find a way to win without uh, James Roby because he's not going to be there for much longer. And the interesting thing is um, how much disruption was there in knowing that Joey Lusick isn't going to be there either, who may not have been earmarked as a direct replacement for, for Roby, but it's very, very rare somebody leaves at this stage in a season to go and play in the NRL. You, I know they've got Moses and Bayer coming in, but you don't know how disruptive that would have been. Clearly, if St Helens had won, would Lusick have stayed to play at Wembley? I mean, you know, of, of his choice, would he have said... Uh, you know, I'm not going to miss up this opportunity in my career. So again, you know, we'll only ever know um, when sort of the, the, it all comes out in the wash as to how disruptive, if at all, that was. Um, I suspect that Paul Wellens as well knows that, um, you know, Alex Warnsley was playing part of the second half with what looked like a, a knee injury. Uh, Ignatius Parsi had to go off with what looks like a serious knee injury. Louis McCarthy, Scarsbrook couldn't come back after a, a short stint because of a quad injury. We'll, we'll see when they name their squad um, for this week's game, how many of those turn out to be serious injuries. This could come at a big cost to St Helens, I think. And um, what I would say is that I thought Paul Wellens, again, was uh, extremely magnanimous in what, what must be a, a heartbreaking defeat. Um, and, and I think he saw, again, that you know that it was of their own making, that there were some key incidents in the game that turned on the fact that... that Saints weren't at their very best, their ruthless best. Um, you know, the, the low max um, break when he was caught, you know, I, I think he, as a spectator, you would have put money on him scoring that, which is not to blame him. It's the brilliance of Hardacre in actually getting back to read the play and make the tackle. But how many times have we seen Johnny Lomax come up with a play like that and it, and it win a game for St. Helens? So, you know, I, I think we should focus more on what you've just said. I'd... I, I, I think it probably is slightly disrespectful to say that Adrian Lamb or Chris Chester picked a team of guys who, who were in any way rejects from other clubs. I think there were people who deserved a second chance. And I think that bringing the best out of people like that, and I will point to somebody like Robbie Mulhern, who again was absolutely fantastic for, for Lee. It's just given them a new lease of life. You know, Tom Briscoe, I think, thought his career was over when he left Leeds and he, he was happy to... To, to go and try and add some experience to to that Lee team in uh, their quest to to stay in Super League. But again, you know, he, he's coming up with those big moment plays that, that he's used. He's, he's going back to a, 
uh, you know, the place where he is the joint leading scorer at Wembley of tries. You know, who would have thought that when he signed for Lee to, to get that out of him? You know, the, the other thing I think, without monopolising the conversation, is when I saw the team sheets and saw Ricky Lutelli wasn't playing, I really thought that was going to be a massive disadvantage to Lee. I think you've got to go into your best games with your with your key players. And he has been, again, I think one of the form centres this year. Uh, and I thought that's probably going to be a hole that they're not going to be able to to cover. Um, and the fact that you barely noticed he wasn't there is a testament, again, to the spirit that they've got, the togetherness they've got, and what Adrian Lamb, I think, has, has brought into that club, um, for which he deserves enormous credit. As soon as you mentioned Tom Briscoe, I thought, what, what is the record for most tries in the final? And then he shares it. Uh, six in all finals. He with five, obviously, in 2015 and one in 2014. With Kevin Ireland, who scored yeah, six. Yeah, I think he's for, for Hull as well. So I think he's got oh, seven. Oh, so uh, Wikipedia's eight. wrong. Oh, there you go then. So uh, He may but... not have done. <laughs> Wikipedia's wrong. He's got a way to go, though, to the get the most points in finals, which is 46, shared by Frano Bottiger and some fella called Sinfield. Don't know what happened to him, but... Uh, it, it, it's exciting. Two new, te- uh, two new teams. Two new teams in the Super League era who could win the trophy. Hulk out have been there a few years ago. Lee for the first time in a dog's age. And as you say, Phil, all those people have been complaining for years that uh, I don't want to go. I'm not going to Wembley because Wigan are there and St. Helens are there and Warrington are there and Leeds are there. And I'm bored of seeing Wigan and Saints and Warrington and uh, Leeds. I'm all going to find uh, different excuses now not to go on uh, August the 12th. But um, more fool them. More fool them. Well, no doubt we will discuss what we think the crowd will be, um, which was a very interesting debate that was taking place outside the dressing rooms yesterday while waiting for coaches and players to come in and do their formal interviews. And um, I, I guess we can come to that when we've re- finished reviewing the action. OK, I will take 100,000 people so they don't have to sell any other tickets. It's OK. And they beat Wigan 11-10 in Golden Points, extra time. Uh, Brad Schneider, he loves Headingley. Uh, he with the uh, winning goal, um, twelve man Wigan, as it says, with that uh, sending off of Josh Yorks. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not a qualified referee. I don't know anything, which is why I leave it to the experts. But even I sat at home thought, oh, he's going to go for that. So I don't know why some current Super League players on social media couldn't understand why, because it seemed with the way rugby league is refereed in 2023 that that was an obvious red card. Yeah, I think, well, firstly, just taking the social media comments by players, I, I looked up the operational rules last night just to see what 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 the the rules they are bound by, and the wording of the rule is is quite specific, so that they cannot question the sort of the integrity of a match official or the the manner in which the game was officiated, which would suggest that what they were doing by questioning the decision and the accuracy of a decision is actually permitted under the operational rules. I don't think that's right, personally. I mean, I would imagine players and clubs would would complain if if I, when I was an active referee, started going to take into social media and questioning their ability or, or, or sort of suggesting that they were, they had poor performances or whatever. As for the decision, uh, yeah, for me, I think it was one of those that it, it was a card of one of one colour or, or another, and I think with the way that the game's going, shoulder to head generally is 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 a red card. I think. When you look at making a decision, you look at whether there's any mitigation in the circumstances. And I think the only mitigation for me was that that the ball carrier was was falling in in height, in my view, 
Uh, and I thought that that may have been sufficient to merit a yellow card rather than a red card. Um, I think if you look at the two incidents uh, that both resulted in cards for foul play across the two games, you had the Matautia Simbin on Saturday, which again was shoulder to head direct. That was a late challenge on a kicker. So you immediately then wonder what's the difference? Why is one a yellow and why is one a red? And, I, and I'm sure if um, you know they're having a group review this week, the referees there will be there will be a fierce debate amongst that group as to whether it should have which should have been a yellow, which should have been a red. I mean, it was rather interesting after the semi-finals last year. It felt rather orchestrated that we ended up with uh, with two teams of match officials. My team as my as the leader of the Wigan Saints semi-final versus Liam Moore and his contingent, um, uh, looking at group in a group review uh, decisions uh, and arguing whether they're right or wrong, and and it's very difficult to separate yourself from a decision. My personal view is I think there was enough mitigation on Saturday in that the player was attempting to tackle, he was wrapping the kicker, and therefore he earned the benefit of some doubt. Uh, and ultimately, both players have got charged with the grade C. Yes, they've got one's got a one match ban and the other's got a two match ban. That the number of games they get is irrelevant because that's all relevant to their uh, previous history. So the only factor of any relevance there is the charge, and they're both being charged with the same. That would suggest that the outcome on the field should have been the same. My personal view is I, I think they were both yellow cards rather than both red cards. But you can't have one without the other. Is my my honest view, but but I talked about it a few weeks ago, didn't it? When somebody asked the question on the Challenge Cup final last year, whether you know there should have been some cards shown in that final, and you you just cannot win as a match official. You know, I didn't show cards in that final, and people wanted cards to be shown. Cards are shown at the weekend, and people are not happy with the cards that are shown. So you, you can't win. They only get a limited number of opportunities to review the the replays and get input from the video referee before making a decision. Match review panel get lots and lots of time to debate whether it's a charge or it isn't a charge and still people go mental on social media as to the outcome of those charges. So, you know, you could be given all the time in the world as a referee to make a decision. You'd still split opinion. Well, I mean, football uh, fans complain about which way throwing goes. So, you know, it's, it's anything above that and uh, and it's uh, Harry Carey going on. The other thing that puzzled me in the game was the reaction. I think it was Opacic who was um, tackled and he was twisted and all hell broke loose for a few seconds, but as soon as uh, the stop was, uh, the clock was stopped. He managed to get up and was fine. It was. Uh, I, I don't like that kind of thing where it seems that he was waiting for whatever decision was going to be made, which of course was waited uh, was made after the uh, clock was stopped. I think that was the tackle by Miski, was it? Yeah, I think yeah. it was Bevan French was holding him yeah. on, and then Miski yeah. came yeah. to the top. And again, you know, the mitigation there was that the the, the player in, in possession was falling into contact, which is why it was just a penalty. And and again, that was shoulder to probably neck, I think, or maybe no, it was probably shoulder to head that one. But there was enough mitigation to suggest it was just a penalty. And a match review panel haven't charged that, so I find that slightly unusual. I would have been expecting there to have been a charge against Misky. And I think what match review panel have determined when you read the minutes is that it's almost the player in possession that's been put onto the shoulder of the defender by the actions of Miski's teammate in making that tackle, which, and I can see that argument in fairness, but when you look at it in that level of detail and a, and a referee and a video referee simply just doesn't have that time to make that assessment. I think that's where you will get some inconsistencies in decision-making, unfortunately. 
Uh, and as people w- will try and say one is exactly the same as the other in terms of those two grade C charges, they're two different challenges. And all foul play will be all slightly different. So you just have to you have to weigh up so many different factors when you arrive at an outcome and you, you're never gonna you're never gonna get a universal opinion on something. I think you also have to add into that what have the clubs had under their own control? And clearly Wigan didn't set up for a drop goal. Um, you know, whole chaos defence was excellent, but at no point did you feel confident that within that 80 minutes, Wigan were going to come up with a play that would win them the game. I thought they had an outstanding couple of players, not least Kai Pierce-Paul, who were such a better team when he was on the field um, rather than off it. And and I couldn't fault anything. He he looked like the kind of guy that Newcastle Knights would have gone, we need him. He, he'll be a success over here. Um, and But I just didn't think that, you know, Harry Smith's kicking game in general play was fine, but they never properly put him in a position where he could drop a goal. Um, whereas you looked at Hull KR, particularly in, in Golden Point, um, and, and, you know, it was a fantastic hit by Schneider you know, from, from that, that way out. And, and Wigan did put pressure on him, but technically that was a fantastic drop goal. Um, but they put themselves in. We'd seen it the week before when they, they played um, against Leeds at Headingley. But people like George King are worth their weight in gold when it comes to setting up a field goal um, or a drop goal, whichever one you deem to be the correct terminology. <laughs> um, and, and again, I thought that the, you know, the whole KR pack was exceptional in getting him to where he needed to be or near enough to where he needed to be. And his skill uh, managed to, to get the result for them. Wigan never quite pulled that off. Um, and I'm not sure it was about being down to 12 men because we saw in the you know the tie against Warrington that they were down to 12 men for, what, seven, 73 minutes and, and they had a game plan to close out the opposition. I think Kenny Dowd being Simbin lessened the impact of being down to 12 men even for, for, for 10 minutes. It, you know, of the 30, it meant that there was parity uh, uh, amongst the teams. And I just don't think Wigan... In the areas that you needed to ice a game, which I believe that's what you call it these days, um, had the players that could do it, uh, whereas Hull KR did. And, and, and that was the difference. The, the key moments in the game, um, Wigan just couldn't find a play. I think, you know, they've scored one try, haven't they? I think to expect to win a game and only score one try, yes, the conditions probably meant it was always going to be a low-scoring game. But to only score one try in a, in a semi-final and, and to expect to win it is it's probably unlikely. I think you're right. They probably missed that killer instinct in terms of, of their attacking shape. Another yeah, answer. Th- oh, sorry, Phil. As we just said, there was one in particular. I think was, was it um, Jai Field couldn't take a ball that I think normally he would have done. And you just think in those moments, without blaming anyone, games change. Opposition get you know. You've also got to add into the uh, the equation that that whole car had Ryan Hall pull out in the warm-up. And 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 it's not just Ryan Hill's experience in those big games or being on a ground that he's so familiar with. It's that the 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 great asset that he brings from the wing is his ability to run the ball out of defence and take the pressure off his forwards. Ethan Ryan isn't that kind of a player. Mikey Lewis being told in the warm up that he's going in at at fullback, you know that that alters the dynamic to to overcome that almost seamlessly from the first minute. You know, again, that's something that perhaps, you know, you can look at odd key moments in a game, but the ethic of the team that Willie Peters has built there is so strong and so solid, a bit like what Adrian Lamb's done, that you have to just give them credit for finding a way to win that match. I know the answer to this question is he's Irish, 
But George King should be uh, in Sean Wen's thoughts of the England squad. Shouldn't he? He's only 28. I've just checked on Wikipedia. And, and I'm assuming he's right. He's right. Yeah, he's just signed a new contract as well because Hulk KR was saying they think he's at the, the peak of his career uh, being a prop forward. But I'd, I'd rather he played for Ireland and we had a, a, an international calendar where Ireland are playing some matches this autumn. But if we were to have a Great Britain team, um, and again, the, the whole um, idea behind having you know, credible Welsh, Irish um, and Scottish internationals is that when we do come to select a Great Britain team, should there ever be such a thing again, which was planned to be once every four years, that George King would be able to say, I can pledge my allegiance to Ireland. I want to play for Ireland. That's where my, my heritage is. But if I'm good enough, I'd like to think that I could be considered for, for Great Britain. Well, we'll find out when. When when's it ended this month, the, the big meeting in Singapore, was it? Yeah, I think they're there from July the 31st to August the 2nd. So I don't think we'll hear anything until the first week in August. And I, I genuinely don't know what we're going to hear, but it is uh, supposedly a decision-making board meeting. So. Well, the head of the IRL will be on one of those podcasts in Australia to tell everyone, I'm sure. So uh, we'll, we'll find out sooner rather than later. So we've got Hull KR in the final, uh, overcoming a deficit at halftime, the, 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 not quite as big as the deficit that their big fan, Keir Mather, did in uh, Selby and Ainsley at the, uh, earlier in the week. But uh, I, I assume it's Mather. I don't know. Is it, is it like Barry, is some relation to Barry John, one assumes. I don't know. But uh, there you go, a bit of politics there for you. But Hull, he's a Hull KR fan. So, you know, they, there you go. Another one in Parliament, which is can't be a bad thing. More rugby league people. Um, it, it, it's it's an exciting final, isn't it? Because we have got two teams who we don't expect to be there in there. I've obviously got me £2.50 on Lee, so I'm very excited that you know I'm, I'm getting some money back. It'll pay for uh, something in the uh, Wembley complex on the day. We're going to be there all day for that. We won't, we're not going to leave until we're going to be. We're going to be the last ones kicked out again, aren't we? Again, yeah. When 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 the security guards are going, I don't know why you're interviewing these people. There's no one left in the stadium. Could you please go home? Uh, but we'll we'll be there till the end of the 1895 Cup. Um, I, I think the other thing to to mention about the final is that these two teams that play a really exciting brand of rugby. So again, not not only do we not know who is going to win, but what what we should be looking forward to and, and promoting the hell out of is saying this this could be one of the most open and entertaining cup finals we've seen because neither team is going to die wondering. The, not, the game plan for both of them will not be to stop the opposition. It'll be for them to go out and play the way they want to play. Um, and both of them are attacking led teams. Um, they're both coached by halfbacks, which again is incredibly refreshing. I have nothing against prop forwards who coach teams, and some of them have been the most successful we've ever seen, and and have staff around them that that clearly um, input on the the attacking side of the game. But we've got two um, head coaches and some assistant coaches who just love movement of the ball um, and want to attack their way to victory rather than strangle the life out of the opposition. If that doesn't excite neutrals. I don't know what will. And again, with the greatest respect to Wigan Saints, um, you know, they're difficult teams to to like if you are a fan of another side. I think everybody has got an affinity to the way Lee and Hulk are play and the style and the manner in which they play. So even if you don't support either of them, you just want to be entertained. You've got no reason not to go, I think. This is where, um, if we are serious about... We may have lost the romance of the Challenge Cup because... Those days of a team outside of the, the, the top sides 
are getting there have gone. But what we have got is the magic of the Challenge Cup is back with these two teams there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, please, if you can go, go. And if you can't watch it on the telly. Um, the I've asked before about whether you referee finals differently, and, and obviously that's a daft question, but are, are there any nerves for a cup final different to a, a regular game? I mean, obviously you can only speak from, for yourself, James, but we know, we know players, they're all told to treat it like just another game, but are you able to when you walk out there at somewhere like Wembley? Oh, it's not just another game, is it? It's, it's just a, a, an easily, easily sort of trotted out cliche. It's not another game, and I don't think the teams will talk about it just being another game, but I when I, I go back to when I refereed the, the grand final in 2017, I've done the grand final probably six or seven times as a touch judge. Um, and so I felt as though I'd been there enough and had that in, enough experience under my belt that when I was in the middle, I was determined to just go out and enjoy the game, but also to try and you know deliver a good performance at the same time. And you can't really enjoy the game as a referee unless the game generally goes well. Um and for me, that's how it was. So I wasn't nervous at all, not at all. And I wasn't nervous at all last year for the Challenge Cup final. Um, that's not to say that I, that I sort of underplayed it. I knew how important it was both to me and to my family and that sort of thing and the tradition of the Cup. But um, I touch judged, uh, I think, three or four or five, I can't remember, Challenge Cup finals before. So I've been there before, video refereed it a couple of times before, never been in the middle. And again, I think it's just that focus that desire to try and deliver a good performance, uh, that that's ultimately in in the forefront of your mind. And then you go into a game as you would do as a player, focused on all your preview, you know, in terms of me and, and that particular game, it was looking at what Huddersfield and look at the, the challenges that they could bring in terms of their players, the same with Wigan. And then and about me and my officiating team and what we will be going out and sort of looking to try and do really. And that's not much different to any other other game, that said. It's remembering the basics. It's just trying to be as consistent and, and as balanced as you possibly can be uh, in all the key areas, be it the 10 metres, the rook, foul play. Um, you're going to have decisions to make. That's just inevitable in terms of the big decisions and you want to try and get the big decisions right. Um, but no, I mean, in terms of the, the, the Challenge Cup final, I think it's going to be special this year, particularly because you've got the women's game there as well. Um and and you've got two teams that, that the public are not used to seeing playing each other. I mean, okay, I did play there a few years ago, didn't they? When they well, they, they didn't. Got, they didn't well, uh, someone said they arrived. They were on the pitch. Fifty points to nil. I've seen. To, I think was it twenty fifteen? I was a video referee for that game. So they've got some uh, wrongs to right there. And and Lee, it's been such a such a long time ago. I think most of their fans won't remember. But then you see, there's another um, added excitement in the fact that Chris Chester was the coach of Hull KR when they got beaten 15-0 that time and now he's going as the director of rugby league you've got the potential on the wings of Tom Briscoe and Ryan Hall facing each other you know it, there are stories everywhere I, I, I think just just going back to the the, the Wigan um, reaction to, to losing I thought Matt Pete was exceptional again in the um, in the press conference afterwards in the way that, again, it, you know, cup holders losing their grip on the cup, it, it, it's tough. And when you've lost it in Golden Point extra time and you feel as though perhaps, you know, you haven't played as well as you maybe wanted to to influence that game right when it needed it. The only thing he did say that I thought was odd was that he questioned where referee Liam Moore came from um, because clearly Liam's from, from Wigan, mm. although I don't think he's a Wigan fan. Um, I, I don't know what, who he's a fan of. Um I think his his brother Aaron was he in the academy at Salford. 
Yeah, um, he did. He played at the academy and so forth. It's all around. But, he is from Wigan, but but I just didn't think that it, that was the time or the place to mention that that would even be. You know, it, there's extra pressure on a man who comes from Wigan to referee Wigan. You go now. We moved away from all of that, and I'm not even sure that you know that isn't putting a seed of doubt in that has a decision been made that's affected his team because the referee is from the town that. Um, you know, has been potentially disadvantaged by that decision. I think the other thing as well, it was clear that um, Liam Moore was taking advice in his headphones from people who were, you know, there's, there's increasing calls for, you know, d- does every every game now need to have a video referee? Well, if it does, those kind of decisions are going to be referred more often than not. Mm. So it's not the decision of the, as much as the man on the field is being fed information. Uh, I just thought that was a really strange thing to say and, and in the context of how good Matty Pete is, um, just probably didn't need, need it. It's along the lines of the of the comment made by Matt Namara in my last ever Super League game when I travelled on the plane with Lee Rhinos that that wasn't my fault. And I and I you know from a from the RFL's perspective, perhaps in hindsight, not the best thing to do. But it's something that has happened regularly over the last few years. It doesn't happen, I don't think, anymore. But was happening as a result of COVID. Um, and but to suggest that it somehow. I'd, I'd been influenced by that was an absolute nonsense. I saw you drinking three red wines on the way out there. <laughs> yeah. Nobody spoke yeah, to you. Yeah, that probably had a greater you on the way back. <laughs> yeah, literally nobody spoke to us. So, no, I just think it's nonsense. I think you're gonna, if you're going to criticise or attempt to criticise our question, then talk about the decision and, and give an yeah. opinion on the decision. Don't go down that route. One of the best things about uh, Elon Musk breaking Twitter is I can't be bothered to go on much anymore. So I miss all the arguments on a Monday when the... Uh, disciplinary comes out i was really nervous in 2014 for my first wembley as a reporter on national radio which i shouldn't be because i'm just some bloke sat in the in the uh in the stands talking i was really really nervous and emotional it was really really strange but i'm glad that you know you've got no, nerves of steel there mr child and, and phil's obviously not quite i just think when if you've been there and done something before it's the whenever you do this, something for the first time i think there's probably a more nerves. I think when you go and do something again, repeat it, then I think, I'm not suggesting there isn't any, but I think you become a little bit more focused on on what what the incident or the game or the you know the occasion is in in itself. Really, I mean, the only thing I would say, I would just add on that on that uh, OKR game, this theory of the, the, of yours in relation to Castleford about not signing players late in the season. I think it's the quality is, of the player that you sign. <laughs> that's been well and truly. Yeah, I think what we need to say is whoever is doing the recruitment at Hull KR has picked an absolute gem. Yeah. The, yeah. the other thing with that is it's not a signing, it's a loan. So he's, he's going back to Canberra. Right. Because um, that, again, um, the agreement was he could stay here for as long as Canberra don't have an injury crisis. So I'm pretty sure Hull KR are sweating that the next two games Canberra have got their halfbacks don't get taken out. Um, but the idea is that it's only to the end of this season, so it's an extended loan, and then he goes back. So somebody who did the research on how good he is um, deserves enormous credit because um, that is a hell of a sign. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when Jordan Abdul is going to be back and fit and whether he'll be in time for the, the next final, two weeks. It? I don't know. There's going to be relying on him. And as we know, you, you can't risk injured players going into a Wembley final because... We saw Which what happened Hull, with Cassie twenty four. Did Gavin Miller and it backfired on them against Castleford? The only one that might be an exception was it, did Chris Radlinski end up in hospital the, the day? Yeah, oh, that was yeah. A, yeah. yeah. It was either two thousand and it was either two thousand or two thousand. Must be in two thousand. Was it Murrayfield? Where Murrayfield. Um, Andy Fowle goes, you beauty when he lifts the cup and everything. Yeah. 
Where happened yeah, to him? Ended up with a foot infection or something, didn't he? he was in yeah. Hospital. Yeah. I think the the only other one who ever um, put that rule to bed was Ellery Hanley, who most of the Challenge Cup finals he played and he was injured in the lead up to it. But there was one so against Halifax where he, he definitely was not playing, came out on one leg and still mm. put in a man of the match performance. But mostly injured players do get found out. I'm assuming that none of us have watched the 1895 finals, uh, semi-finals because of their scheduling and or behind a paywall. But we can say congratulations to Halifax, who were nil-nil at half-time against London and uh, won in the end tw- uh, 10 points to six. And Batley, who the biggest winners of the weekend in the uh, semi-finals, 22-8 over York again, which seems they uh, won in the first half there away from home. So both away sides... We'll be making the trip to Wembley, which is good news for Yorkshire because obviously it was looking a bit uh, rubbish at one point uh, for West Yorkshire in this uh, season. But uh, they are there. And obviously we're not biased on this programme, but Craig Lingard writes in the magazine. So uh, up the Bulldogs. I, I sent him a message after the uh, the victory saying, obviously, congratulations. Are you going to be the first coach leading the team out of Wembley who won't wear shoes? And he said, I won't tell you what he said, but he's not planning on wearing a suit either. He doesn't do formal. Right, okay. I mean, I, I, I listened to some of the Batley game on, on, on Radio Leeds, actually. They sounded pretty dominant, particularly in that first half. Uh, York didn't really seem to be in the game, I think. Um, they never really got in the game, to be honest. I know they got a try in the second half, but I think it came after Batley had sort of taken um, a lead, which he just felt was probably unassailable at, the sta- at that stage. And, and I think the um, the London Halifax game, which again I was following on social media as it was happening, and again an interception try to Lachlan Warns, the basically the difference between the teams. And you know he is a huge talent, but that just shows you how close London came to uh, upsetting the the Halifax apple cart. And um, I, you know hopefully the the battle between the two of them for for maybe the final. Um, place in the in the playoffs is is going to be absolutely intriguing on the back of that but no Halifax fantastically supported Batley first ever time at Wembley I think the other thing is that in their heart of hearts both of these teams know that this is actually the most important game of the season for them now but Batley could well get to a grand final they may even win promotion whether they would want to take it, that's another matter. They they know better than we do where their club is, and we've always admired them for the honesty with which they've said we're not even sure we um, we would want to be promoted if we were given that opportunity. Um, I, I think in their heart of hearts, they'd set Wembley as a target, never having been there. So to get there, um, to play a Halifax team that again are losing their coach at the end of the season, as we said, and and on their their league form, you would say massive outsiders to. Uh, be in the running for promotion. This suddenly takes on for for all their fans the you know the, the the biggest day of the season and and all the more reason again why if you're going make it a three match occasion spend all day there because I have no idea who's going to win this game. My uh, first job post education was working as a receptionist, believe it or not, in a bed factory in Batley. So uh, up the Bulldogs. There were a couple of ex uh, Batley players working on the staff there as well. Anything sponsored by biscuits is good for me. <laughs> up the bit. I mean, I'm hoping that there's some uh, Fox's biscuits left in the press room at, at uh, Wembley on the day, but we'll, we will see. We will see. And also there, kicking off at 12 noon, high noon, it is Leeds versus St. Helens. A repeat of last year's final. What, not a good weekend for York losing in the 1895 and the women's semi-finals. And we'll start with 
their game against St Helens first. And it, and it is interesting how in her pre-match press, Lindsay Anfield did mention her and her side's records in big games. I'm sure there'll be a day when you'll win and then they'll go on and win everything for a while. But whether it's a psychological thing or just the fact that St Helens were better on the day, which is easier to describe them as Saints at Wembley in the Women's Challenge Cup final. Couldn't have happened to a nicer player in Faye Gaskin as well with that uh, drop goal. It was a cracking drop goal as well. I think, um, again, you look at those moments that determine games and York set up for what looked like a um, a reasonable drop goal, which I think had they got it, the boot would have been truly on the other foot. Um, and, and Tara Jane Stanley, who's kicking is, is is pretty fantastic, missed it. And, you know, that is fine margins when you come down to semi-finals. The, um, I think if there, if there was... I don't like to use the word criticism, but if you were to look at their own performance, the one thing that they would identify even more than we would was at times, again, they look to revert to being a side of talented individuals rather than a team. And you looked at Emily Rudge and Jodie Cunningham and the work that they were doing for the team. Um, and, and that maybe was the difference that the, the squad at York, uh, you know, person on person on a team sheet, possibly were rightly deemed to be favourites in that game. But they didn't seem to be the same level of cohesion that St. Helens had. Um, and, and I think, again, you know, Lindsay Anfield might be able to point to other occasions in major finals where that has been their undoing. It, it's something that clearly they will work on a lot. They will look to address. But it had a familiarity as we went into those final stages that it was almost about the effort and ethic of St. Helens getting them to the right part of the field rather than the individual brilliance among York, which didn't quite work for them. And Saints were in that position themselves only a couple of years ago where they couldn't win the big games and Leeds would invariably go out and win them. And then they won one and then they won a few for, you know, Challenge Cups and Grand Finals and such. But what a gaming prospect. I mean, the, you mentioned Emily Rudge and Jodie Cunningham, whose faces get battered every time they're on the telly, it seems. I remember Jodie Cunningham's black eyes at the uh, the World Cup and both her and Emily Rudge uh, sporting some uh, extra furniture on their face by the end of the season. What was that? That bandage on Grace Field's head as well. That was uh, an, an interesting uh, accoutrement in that uh, York Saints game. And then they meet again this week on Friday night at the, uh, the Totally Wicked Stadium. So a, a chance for York to... Uh, get some measure of revenge, but it's not really, is it? Because that that was the big chance of making history of going to Wembley first uh, Challenge Cup final for the women's game. And they didn't win. So if they do win on, on Friday, it doesn't really mean much. I know that seems an odd thing to say about a, a league game where two points were stake, but it, it doesn't mean as much as this did. I didn't watch it either of the two women's games other than for a few minutes of, either, of, of both games. And, you know, I, I thought generally the standard of, of the women's games looked to have got better. Um, but there were a couple of things that I noticed. The drop goal, which was a fantastically well-struck drop goal. And, uh, you know, in fairness to Schneider the week before, it wasn't it wasn't the best drop goal. <laughs> it, it, it certainly improved on, on Sunday, didn't it? Um, but... The, there was no kick pressure by York at all on that attempt to drop goal, and the, the sort of the, the defense didn't look united. They looked tired, 
Uh, and at that moment, it's just a little bit of game awareness. And, and again, with Wigan, the latter stages of that game against Leeds, we think they had about 13 minutes to go, they conceded. And instead, of, they didn't kick off short. Now, in a cup semi-final, with 13 minutes remaining, it's your last sort of ditch opportunity to, to get the ball back. And I think it's just those couple of moments for me where it's just about a, a little bit of greater awareness. And, you know, if you're coaching, it's about coaching process which I know is a boring phrase and keeps getting banded about, but it was it was something that I used, used to say when I was coaching touch judges at championship is that let's not focus on decisions so much as focus on why we got something right or why we got something wrong. And I think that's what, you know, teams like York with the, you know, with the, with the ability of some of the players that they've got, that's perhaps some of the areas that they need to work on. It's not just that they perhaps froze on, froze on a big stage. Um, it, it's some of those indicators along the way that make up what is a good team performance. And I think you're probably right. I mean, you watched the game far more intently than I did. That Saints perhaps showed that on on that on that game. Yeah, I think I think it is about a connectivity, um, and and it's something that that Lois Forsell was saying after Leeds' victory is that whilst they were annoyed with themselves that they couldn't get further ahead, what they did do was believe in the process to the point where when they did score on the hour that cracked the dam. Um, and it, was the, it wasn't it was as much that they defended brilliantly. Both teams did. And I think Wigan deserve an enormous amount of credit because they lost to the same opposition mm. by 50 points two weeks ago. So to turn that around and be in the game for an hour was already enormously to their credit. But what Leeds did was just kept defending so doggedly that they knew that if a chance came, that they were in the perfect position to exploit it. And they didn't exploit it once with what was a a brilliant try by Caitlin Beavers. They then scored straight away on the back of that, and that's what, what cracked the Wigan resistance. Mm. Um, I, I think that we're set up for another amazing final, aren't we? And, and, the, and the stories in that, you know, Amy Hardcastle moves from St Helens to Leeds and all of a sudden is playing St Helens at Wembley. And, uh, you know, again, it shows what it means to the players. She, she's been on every major stage in the women's game, including, you know, being one of the, the players of the tournament in the World Cup. Um, and yet was in tears in the press conference after it, when it, it suddenly dawned on her that at the age of 34, she was going to be playing at Wembley. Um, and, and I think that we've got two teams who won't be phased by the occasion. Um, they've been in enough major finals. They'll relish the fact that they are making history, but there's nothing between them. So again, you know, don't treat it as a curtain raiser. Get there in time to see it because it's going to be astonishing. Um, I think the other thing that was said afterwards, uh, which was actually by Robert Hicks, which was really interesting when we were talking about what could we anticipate as a likely attendance. Um, He said this will show the value of the women's game to the sport at the moment because you've got two teams who will only be there through their women's team. So how many St Helens and Leeds fans will actually go will be a measure of the value of the women's game at the moment. So again, to those teams, and I know certainly um, I think both of them are putting on... um, supporters, uh, coaches and all that kind of thing, please go. Because if we are measuring the value of the sport, we're we're, going to go into a TV negotiation wanting to know um, what our worth is when we we speak to potential broadcasters. This is a great indication of it. Um, And, and, you know, Robert was saying anything over 50,000, he thinks, would be acceptable. And, and, And I was, of course, saying I think we can get 70, to which he said you're absolutely mad never happen um and it probably won't but if you're a neutral 
25 quid to see three games where you don't know who the winners are going to be involving six different teams and all with great stories to tell. If, if you love rugby league, you have to go. You, you have to go. The game need, needs you to go because not only will you enjoy it and it'd be great value for money, but we'll be judged on this. And what we don't want to see is swathes of empty seats when people are sitting at home going, isn't the crowd terrible? They're like, I know we're in a cost of living crisis, but if you can go, please go. That's the key, isn't it? If you can go, you know, if you have the means to go and you sit at home and moan about it, then you're part of the problem. I think the the interesting thing for Wigan is is the hope that they can keep as many of these young players at their club and they don't lose them to Saints or Leeds or York or whatever. So they can become, once again, a force in women's rugby league because we saw them win that grand final a few years ago against Leeds. They obviously pushed Leeds close this week. They pushed York close in the semifinals in the Super League last year. So they can be a team who challenges for honours in the very near future because they've got a clutch of very talented young players there. I think the other interesting thing about St Helens and Leeds is they're going down that route as well of a lot of young players. So I don't think they necessarily would be in the market to take other teams' young players. Um, Leeds have got a disciplinary issue coming up tomorrow where they've got two, particularly Kira Bennett, you know, an England international who may be ruled out of the final because they've only got one league game between now and Wembley, but they've both got two match bans at the moment. So they'll appeal that. It'd be very interesting to see. Um, you know, normally players are not ruled out from playing at Wembley and they're, they're clearly waited to appeal to know if they were they're going to be there and, and now that they are. Um, but again, there's good young players coming through at, at both Leeds and Saints at the moment that they're building the next generation around. And, and you know, looking at the halfbacks of Leeds and Wigan yesterday, they were, they were all young players who look like they've got really big futures ahead of them. Can they not invent a reserve game to uh, get one of the games off? I was just going to say that. Can they not arrange a warm-up or friendly? Yeah. Not sure that women's game. Yeah, we play Alton Raiders for the... Equality, um, equality Phil. Equality. Small Ryan <laughs> It was... Uh, the, the, uh, we talk about stories. Talk about Caitlin Beavers, right? Coming back from injury and all that. But she's already performed at Wembley. She's already taken the whistle at Wembley in the, the the schools final, which was made very little of at the time. So she's got that experience of performing at Wembley seems like the wrong phrase, but she didn't play at Wembley. She was the referee at Wembley. So it's interesting how that experience works for her because she's the only one out there, I'm going to guess, who's played or been on the pitch at Wembley. She did something that I never did. I never refereed at Wembley. So yeah, and um, you know, officiated there a number of times on the line, uh, video ref, but uh, reserve referee, but never, never refereed at Wembley. Unfortunately, last year's final beat at Tottenham, so she's got that one on me, that's for sure. I can't imagine there's anybody else in the history of the game that will have officiated a game at Wembley and then played a game at Wembley. That is a record. No, probably, that probably not. Well, probably all, well, it won't necessarily always be a, be a record, but I can't, I can't see anybody. Maybe changing that, unless a professional player suddenly becomes a referee, but not doing it the other way around. <laughs> the only um, one in sport I can think of, and it's not rugby league, is the uh, great former England football international who also refereed, and I believe won the FA Cup, the great Cigar Bastard, 
um, who's, uh, I believe that's the pronunciation of his name. Uh, yes, Agar Bastard, uh, middle name Richard, which some would say is pretty much the same thing. Played for England uh, at football in 1880, played cricket for the MCC as well, and was also a referee. I believe he refereed the FA Cup final, but I'm, you know, I can't read his Wikipedia page that quick, but I'm fairly sure he did. <laughs> That would that would be interesting. That would be, yeah, yeah. The, ref, the referees. Are, well, yeah. that's apparently that is he is the inspiration for the champ. So, uh, but yeah. I mean, that, See, that, when, that, I, when I married Stephen, there was the prospect of whether I should take Stephen's surname, and Stephen's surname is right. And I thought, well, if, you can only imagine the public's reaction to James Child changing his surname to Wright, and he's now called Mister Wright. And he still gets everything yeah. wrong. <laughs> so I decided that probably wasn't the best way to go. Yeah. These these little things that we, we need to worry about in the modern world that we live in today. Uh, one concern after the semi-finals, and obviously because I am a cigar, I would I would much like to see the people who ran on the pitch banned for the final because I'm that kind of person. But they all know not to run on the pitch and do pitch invasions, and yet they still do it. So, you know, eh. I, I, think I, don't Craig, know, I don't know what to say Craig about that. Derek, Derek Belmont for calling some of the Lee fans out because he was he was keen, quite rightly, to say how important they'd been in helping the team get to Wembley. But if, you know, interviewed live on the television, did say that uh, you know he, he was concerned. Admittedly, he would be because the club are ultimately responsible for for their fans. But I thought some of the whole KR fans who ran on in the euphoria, admittedly, of winning in Golden Point extra time was a little bit mindless because there was actually a ring of security that meant, you know, you were, you were running the risk of either a fine arrest or or banning. So, what, like, why do it? Just stupid. And it's, it's not, not like our players don't go to the fans. They yeah. spend a hell of a lot of time with the fans. So why? It wasn't great lucky the seeing Willie Peters trying to cajole fans to go back behind and they even issued a statement, didn't they? Yeah. By Sean Kennedy pre you know, pre game about them not going on the field. It's just mindless, really. In this era, of course, where just stop oil are everywhere. I mean, if they're not at the Challenge Cup final, does that say something about rugby league? I'm being facetious. Oh, yeah, we want an orange pitch, don't we? Um has anything else happened apart from people signing people we've never heard of or who could turn out to be stars or anything. Castle would have signed someone on loan from the Bulldogs, haven't they? So these loan signings from Australia becoming more frequent. Well, two of them. Scott Morell played um, for Midlands Hurricanes at the age of 37, who pulled off a ridiculous win at Doncaster, uh, for which Jacob Hookham, I think, who was also on loan from Castleford, was uh, the star man. Who does have so the best that... name in rugby league? Has to be. Well, it'd be interesting to see how even in the League One um, shape-up, uh, and now Doncaster have, have dropped down a couple of places, are lone players from Super League teams going to be the difference between promotion or not? But that was a magnificent win for Midland Hurricanes. Mm. I, I, because, obviously, all the attention was on the semi-finals yesterday, I, I completely ignored what happened in League One. So I've gone onto the BBC website to find the results. Obviously, Rochdale, London was postponed due to the weather. Uh, Jupiter yeah. beat North Wales 18-4. Workington won at Cornwall 34-16 and 41-10. That is that is that's some win, is it? That's not 11 10 or something. That is a big win for the Hurricanes. It also tells me that West Wales versus Hunslet was cancelled, but I already knew that. Uh, that. That is that is a big, big win for the Hurricanes. I completely had no idea that had happened. This is why I should have bought the paper this morning, but forgot. <laughs> well, I think I wouldn't have probably noticed it as much if it hadn't been for Scott Morell. <laughs> But now is he going to play again? That's the question, isn't it? Is he going to play again this week? 
if it well, did play. Was it six in a row? Yeah, and, and, hadn't and they've, that... they've crept up to... Yeah, I hadn't realised that until I saw that tweet by the club, I think, saying that they'd won six in a row. Um, and they, they've got a big game this week. They're at home against Doncaster, who obviously lost against Midlands. So, you know, Workington are doing pretty well there, aren't they? But I think Dewsbury play Hunslet as well this week uh, at Hunslet. So that's going to be the top yeah. two playing each other. And, and one of the results of the or the effects of St Helens losing that men's semi final means that they will play Huddersfield oh. on Challenge Cup final weekend. So I don't know when that will be. Whether that'll be you on hope it will be this Friday night, Friday or night Sunday. on Sunday, surely. Yeah, not on Saturday. It will be on Saturday. It'll be, I would imagine it'll probably be the Friday night, won't it? Another busy weekend this week, including the uh, it's the latest uh, magic round, isn't it? Down at Medway in the wheelchair, it is. all on the sportsman. So again, if you like your wheelchair rugby league, and and we do, um, watch that all Saturday afternoon. I was just thinking, actually, on that wheelchair final, maybe it would have been a great idea to have it at London on the same weekend as like you know the Friday night. A bit similar to what they did with the Rugby League World it, Cup. It was mooted, yeah. But they felt that it's a different audience for wheelchair, and that not too many people would have come down from the north of England. I think now you know that the Rhinos women and the Rhinos wheelchair are in. Then maybe mm. that w- that would have been an option. I think the other thing isn't um, Anthony Joshua fighting on the Saturday night at the O2 as well. So if you love your sport, go to Wembley. Watch three games of rugby league and then hot foot it to the O2 and watch boxing. Well, you won't what? be able to watch a fight for twenty five quid unless I'm, I'm, I'm well, possibly right at the top. I don't know, but uh, uh, typically I am working on the Sunday when the wheelchair challenge cup final is, so I will be uh, I will not be there unfortunately. But one of the captains is going to come on the podcast in the next few weeks, so uh, I wonder I wonder who that could be. Was that, has he got letters after his name? Uh, no, because uh, it's a she. So. <laughs> So find out who that is. Not the Catalan <laughs> one. <laughs> no. Um and, and disappointingly we dropped down to second in Turkey in the uh Apple podcast charts. I've just checked. although in fairness, we're just underneath James Graham. So that at least it's not a reunion we're underneath in Turkey. I'm assuming it's everyone on holiday there, but uh still yeah, uh, if you're gonna download it to Turkey, don't download any other really podcast. Yeah, exactly. But uh, still, still riding high in Mexico. Is there anything else to talk about? Or have we have we done anything? Because everything. Because I think this is you know, yeah. We, we mentioned oh, yes, it. Was, yes. Um, and it looks it looks great. I mean, again, that, if you're in and around the Cardiff Bay area, that that is a piece of history to go and and see. But the whole ceremony looks looked very emotional. And hats off to Cardiff City Council for the way they got behind it media wise because it, it got some some really good publicity and. Um, it's a great story, you know, you know. Friend of the podcast, Gareth Keir, whose son will now be playing at Wembley for Batley. Um, he he was um, involved in in helping pull it together, but he's now saying it's not just about that statue; it's about what it stands for and the work that they're going to do with kids about discrimination in the future. And it's a focal point, and uh, you know, absolutely fantastic. It's uh, it, it's brilliant, and the fact that Billy Boston could be there as well to help unveil it was was amazing. It's difficult to comprehend that a sports team would not pick someone who's better than someone they've got because of the colour of their skin. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Welcome them back because they played a different sport. Uh, but but there you go. But I I, I don't know. I just, it is it does look great, and it, it it looks like somewhere where if you are going to Cardiff, we have got. I think as other people said, another pilgrimage point for us. We've got the statue at Wembley, we've got the statue at Cardiff, statues at 
various clubs. Where next? What, what are we going to build next? I think the, the other uh, nice thing about it was that 13 players were originally nominated to be on the statue and they've all got their names on the plinth around it. So again, you know, there is even more reason for people to go and learn about those other players that are on it. Mm. And coach, because one of them is Roy Francis. What, what are we going to do about Wales next? That's, we, <laughs> we've got to build up Wales again. When, when are they playing next? Do we know? No. Well, we, uh, no. Do we know when the, the women are playing in England? Though? That's that's good. Give, give it another week. Although Beth and Dayton, I think, had her, um, her nose broken yesterday when she was playing for Leeds. And, but as, as was pointed out by the prolific Wales media manager, Ian Golden, she will be the first Welsh woman to play at Wembley. Ian would, would like this shirt I've got behind me, which apparently is a Welsh amateur shirt from the 90s, but it, it's a bit weird. A bit weird Where did you get them from? I, because my wife might be watching this programme, I don't want to say. But, uh, <laughs> Your secret's safe with us. <laughs> if she's not, it's, it's eBay. That two pound fifty you've got on leave, already reinvested it, haven't you? I have reinvested. I mean, that'd be worth. I mean, that, that could go straight into the Billy Museum, which doesn't exist. Wait, what's, I've not thought about that for a while. Have they the Billy Museum? Have they not down the George Hotel yet? I do believe, again, there might be uh, further information on that following a Rugby League Cares board meeting next week. But whether they're in a position to decide, um, I'm sworn to secrecy. Definitely not going to be the George. The George is going to be a Radisson Hotel. I think that place in Alton's a care home or something now. Is it? I've, I've been past it recently. If you've, got a, if you've got a spare room, you can host the Rugby League Museum and get in touch. Um, got our studio. Yeah, I mean, we could have a day. Would, would you mind people coming through the shop? Just, to, I mean, you might sell some books, more books. You're welcome. Yeah, be the gift shop downstairs. That'd be a good idea. So, uh, so there you go. The bid's in. The new magazine's out, Phil. Have you got it in front of you to wave? Because I forgot last week. This was this was a protest about my photo not being on the, the cover along with all the other columnists in the magazine. <laughs> other people are writing of my stuff. As you I'm said, not... you're under the barcode. Under the barcode. <laughs> <laughs> rightfully so. I, I mean, it, it's what, what's it? What's in there that people should read apart from uh, whatever rubbish I've written? Does Brian uh, Noble make jokes about semis in there as well, like he did on the telly? You missed that. Did he? No, I, I don't Matt know. New, Matt News, he made Matt Newsom laugh. It was very good. Well, he did talk about how important it would be for the game to get uh, two um, so-called less fashionable clubs through to the final. So um, I think he got that right. So it's mainly about how close the competition is this year and um, why that's good for the game, particularly at a time when we're uh, talking about potential future broadcasters. But I suppose the other news story of last week was we now know that Viaplay definitely won't be one of them. Oh, yes, which I don't think is a massive surprise, is it? But um, no. still not good, not good news at all. Um, you'd hope that they I don't know what you do with the championship I don't know what you do with it because I'm not sure it has a great financial value so whether you do ha- do something on our league but then what else how, how do you fund it how do you get people to pay for it I don't know you just let I mean, the we have Super League games this week which I suppose it's not worth spending too much time talking about because I've Again, we focused quite rightly on the Cup and most of the teams haven't played, so their status hasn't changed since last time we discussed them. But um, some interesting matchups. Certainly, Holcar have got to come out of the uh, euphoria of getting to Wembley and, and take on a Castleford team who will be clearly desperate to, to get a win. 
Catalan uh, at the top. They've got Salford, who are, uh, I would imagine, keen to arrest the the form slide they've been in. But they've had a, a couple of weeks to get some some players fit. Wigan Lee looks the tastiest of the games, uh, which is on Channel Four, mm. which is great. You know, welcome them back with a with a match again that's got loads and loads of storylines. And uh, and your boys are playing Warrington, which again it, it is interesting in terms of the fact that either Wakefield's resurgence um, will kick on, particularly <laughs> at home where they've won their three games, or Warrington will end their dismal run. So again, some interesting games coming up. But that's yeah. the intrigue, really, isn't it? That Wakefield-Warrington game from that for that perspective because I think, again, pressure's on Warrington there to to win at Wakefield. I'm hoping to be there and we'll do um, I'll, I'll start the stopwatch and when the hooter goes to when Dowell Powell turns up in the, the press room. <laughs> Honest. I won't forget to do that, Neil. Neil said that. Well, something else. Oh, Tara Jane Stanley. She was great on the telly on Sunday, by the way. Proper analysis of what was going on and explaining to you why players were doing things and what weaknesses they may have spotted in the opposition. I thought she was very, very good. So hopefully they don't train that out of her and she becomes a robot like some other people on the telly. And she didn't do many jokes either, which was makes a change. Well, maybe now she can do the final because... Uh, well, her team. yeah, that, that, that is also true. That is also true. Uh and, that, and that's it. I, I, fingers crossed we'll be live next week. If if not, we'll be in this formation, but it seemed to work okay, so that's good. And uh, is there anything else we need to mention? I can't think of it. I'm sure there is, but I can't think of it. No. No, Other than we've just exhausted having had the most brilliant weekend of Rugby League and we shouldn't let that go. Let's hope that this weekend is somewhere near as good as this week was. So enjoy the rugby, buy the magazine, and uh, tell all of your friends to uh, download the podcast, especially if they're on holiday in Turkey. Sports Social Podcast Network.